it's going to be a little different today. Um, we're, uh, this message is going to be in two different parts. Um, we're going to hit a vertical section, and then we're going to hit a horizontal section. The first section is about forgiveness, is how does forgiveness come from God to man? And uh, so we're going we're to take like a half a message, and then we're going to pause and pray and worship a little more, uh, take communion to celebrate, and then, then we're going to have the second half, which will be how do we give forgiveness or how do we receive forgiveness from others, going from the vertical to the horizontal. Um, I, I really have great expectations of what God wants to do in, in our hearts and, and in my heart as well. Um, I think there's, there's, there's some of us in here that God wants to clarify some things about who He is and about how forgiveness, how you get forgiveness, and in particular to know what your position in Christ is once you've received forgiveness. Um, I also think there's some of us in here that are in a bondage, a bondage because of grudges they've held, bitterness that they have, um, people that they're in distance with. And God's going to press you in to seek them out, whether you're the instigator of the problem or whether you're the one who's, who's received the most of the sinning you know, against. Um, God wants to press us in. And so, uh, I mean, as I pray now, just man, open up your hearts to God and be ready because I think God's going to do something amazing in here today, okay? Um, Holy Spirit, I, I know I can't do the things that I'm talking about. It's got to be you. I humbly bow before you, God. And I say, would you please come? Would you please come and reveal yourself, God? Lord, my, my brother just a little while ago prayed for, for UAH, students, our friends that are there as students and faculty or staff, Lord, and um, both the great tragedy that's occurred and as they're starting classes back and, and, and how how we prayed, Lord, that you would be glorified in and through all this. And God, we know that it's not a thing where we say, yay, God, wasn't it so great? But it's rather a thing where we say, God, may the spotlight be on you during these times. May people see Jesus clearly so that, so that we know that you're magnified, that you're glorified, God, that we see you better, Lord. We, we need to see you, God. Um, even when we look in the mirror, God, what we need to do is we need to see Jesus' righteousness uh, upon us so that we can walk this walk out. Lord, take this time. Uh, we, we surrender it to you. Um, would you please change me? Would you please change us? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all right. Um, even as we're praying, um, we've got a bunch of people that are out that are sick and, and some others are traveling too. But, man, we have, I mean, there's like... There's like strep and stomach bugs and, and uh, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. RSV, pneumonia, I mean, just within sojourn, lots of stuff going on. So, um, man, pray for, pray for the folks that you know that, that are sick or down, down for the count with, with some, with some uh, sickness and illness. Um, we are, we're right in the middle of, of this uh, teaching series in the model prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And we've, really, we've been chewing on the bone. We've been taking just a phrase at a time and asking God to reveal to us um, the greatness of what's, what's in there. And the section we're in this week is uh, about forgiveness. Um, 
and we're uh, we want to start we want to start um, in in praying in praying for forgiveness to where we we look to the Lord and we thank Him for the forgiveness uh, that He's that He's given us um, and we want to we want to um, want to anchor first in understanding the holiness of God. For you to understand what forgiveness is and this the, the vertical picture of forgiveness, it starts with not understanding yourself first, but it begins in understanding and catching a glimpse of who God is and His holiness. Um, many people, they, they determine how they're doing by comparing themselves by someone else. And, and we play these games. We look up over at somebody else and we're like, you know what, I feel pretty good because... Look at what this guy did. I mean, uh, right now, you know, any of us, we can compare ourselves to Tiger Woods and say, man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You know? I haven't, I haven't been that deep in my own narcissism, in my own depravity. I haven't been there. So I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. And we're, we, we compare ourselves, you know, uh, to where then, then okay, God, I, I think I'm pretty good, and I think you should accept me, God, because of that. At the other side of it, though, is we're, we're comparing ourselves, we can... Look at someone else that's doing way better than us. It's not making as many outward foibles as we are. And then what we do is we, there's a self-condemnation by which we say, man, I, I just everybody else is doing better than me. And we fall into self-pity. And we get to a place where it's just this pit where we, we can't climb out. Because all of those, it's, we're basing it on ourselves and how we're doing or how others are doing it. And we have the wrong ruler out that we're comparing ourselves to. And so for us to understand how we're doing, it starts by looking at God. And I want to point out in Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, this was Isaiah's vision of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And I'm an interesting there about these, these seraphim, there's, there's not really an indication that there's any other of these creatures anywhere in all of creation. But it's like there's just these few angels that, man, they are there. They're, and they're covering themselves as they worship the Lord, which just is pointing out to us that God is so amazing. He's so incredible. He's so holy. That even some of the most powerful angels, they just sit there and they cover their eyes and cover their face because God is so, so far and above even the angels. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And that word holy means very, 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 very different. And He said it three times. They said it three different times. It's, it's, it's just, imagine... Whatever it is that, that would be that would be the greatest distance you can imagine. It's like multiply it by infinity. And God, God is that much different than us. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, and this is this is what happens when we come in contact with the very real God, a holy God. Woe is me. For I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Pastor John MacArthur said this. 
Forgiveness of sin is the greatest need of the human heart because sin has a twofold effect. It promises to damn men forever while at the same time robbing them of the fullness of life by burdening the conscience with unrelenting guilt. Ultimately, sin separates man from God. Thus, it is unquestionably the principal enemy and the greatest problem of man. Sin separates us from a holy God. Rebellion against God. Rebellion against His way. Saying, no, I will do it my way. It's, it's an infinite, it's, it's an eternal offense against an infinite God is what sin is. And the separation and the gap between us as sinners and God is beyond what we can, could ever measure. And so sin, sin is our enemy. And it's what we need a solution for. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. There are about five different um, Greek words for, for sin in the New Testament. I'm not going give to you, give you the Greek words, but I will explain them uh, a little bit. One of them, it's the most common uh, of, of the words, and it carries a root idea of missing the mark. Missing the mark. And it's, it's uh, you know, my, I used to take two of my boys to archery practice, and when you would, you would shoot, you're shooting for the bullseye, and, and quite literally, when, you know, on their score sheet, when they would miss the target complete, completely, it was called a sin. So that's, that's one, that's one uh, instance. Um, another one is, is rendered trespass. And, and it's a sin of, of slipping or of falling that results mainly from a, a carelessness rather than from intentional disobedience. Okay? So one, you're just kind of missing the mark. You didn't hit it. Another one, this is kind of a, a carelessness. You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily so volitional. It may have been even, uh, some would say there's sins of commission and sins of omission. Commission is something that you do that's wrong. Omission is something you don't do that would have been right to do. You omit doing what you should have done or you commit uh, doing what you, what you shouldn't, have, shouldn't have done. And, and this, the first two uh, kind of lean, lean more towards omission. Another one is one that's conscious and it's intentional. It is stepping across the line purposefully, going beyond the limits that are described by God, basically saying, man, I'm busting through. This is what I want to do. Another one uh, describes what would be considered as lawlessness. And this takes it even a step further from where, I, where we just were. And this is one where it's, it's intentional and it's flagrant. And it's just like, I don't care what you think, God. I don't care what anybody says. I will have it my way. The other word for sin is the one that's used here in Matthew, Matthew 6, 12 in the model prayer here. Um, and it's a, it's a verb form that's mainly used to describe moral or spiritual debt. Sin is a moral debt that must be paid for. It must be atoned for. Um, so it happens like this. Um, 
we, we must come to the point that we recognize this incredible holy God, that the God of creation, the God of the universe, that, that started the whole deal is the God of the Bible. It starts there. It starts with eyes being open to say, okay, I, I see, I, I believe, I believe that the, the thing or the, the power that created everything that I can see and all the things I can't see, that it's the God that's described in the Bible. He's holy, and I recognize I am not holy. So when we come to that place, that aha moment, our eyes are open, our ears are open, the question comes to us, what do I do? What do I do about this? And this is what they said to Peter when he spoke to them. It was called the, uh, the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 37-38 says this. Now when they heard this, uh, Peter had just preached this incredible message in Acts chapter 2. Check it out. Um, and at the end of it, these hundreds and thousands of people that were there, they, they'd, heard, they'd heard this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know what I cannot do? As much as I may try, I cannot cut you to your heart. I can't touch the depths of your soul. As much as I proclaim Jesus to you and His greatness, I can't do that. Through the preaching of God's story and through His Word, the Holy Spirit does. He's the one. And my prayer every week, and I, and I challenge you that you would pray as you come, say, God, would you please cut me to the heart? And would you please, the people that are around us, God, would you cut us to the heart to where we respond by saying, what, what shall I do? What do I do with this? So Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're cut to the heart because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to a place of confession and a place of repentance. That confession where we admit it. We admit it. We admit that we missed the mark. We admit that we transgressed. We admit that we have a debt to God. We admit that we rebelled against the holy God of the universe because we chose to. We pushed it. We don't excuse ourselves. We admit it. We confess this before God. We agree that we have no entitlement of His love or His forgiveness. Have you been there? Have you gotten there? If you're a person that you think all your life, man, you think that you're just entitled to God and that God is just supposed to love you and supposed to forgive you, supposed to make you a son, supposed to give you heaven. If you've been that place all of your life and never come to a place of full brokenness, you may not be a Christian. You may be religious. But if you've never been broken to the point where you just say, God, I'm not entitled to you at all. I don't deserve your forgiveness. So what we do is we, we throw ourselves at the mercy of the King of the universe. This holy God, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. We throw Himself, we throw ourselves at His mercy, but it's, it's with a confidence it's a confidence of knowing that you're, it's not, you're not just begging for your life 
to someone who may deny it to you. You're throwing yourself at the mercy of the God that paid the price for you. You throw yourself at the mercy of, of Jesus who says, I love you so much, I would rather die than live without you. So you repent of your sin. You turn away from you. You turn to God. Forgiveness is given to you. And obedience follows, which even includes the profession of your faith. And baptism is mentioned in there. And I know there's, there's some of you in here that, that you have not been baptized on this side of surrender of G, to Jesus Christ. On Easter, on Easter, we're going to be baptizing people. And there's probably some of you all that I'm looking at right now that, that you need to be baptized. You, you might have, may have never been baptized, or you may have been baptized on the other side of repentance. As a child, or maybe you were baptized because you walked an aisle, but you're like, you know what, I know that I never really surrendered. I did that because of my friends or whatever it is. And, but you know, you've come to a place of complete confession, repentance, surrender, God's forgiven you. You need to follow Him in baptism. That's obedience. Obedience is something that follows in a person whose heart has been changed. Let's talk about the greatness of this forgiveness that we have. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Now, now, now don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that God doesn't know about your sin anymore. It doesn't mean that that God forgets. The, the great thing is God knows and He remembers. But that it's paid for. And that's, that's important for us as we, as we move forward. Acts 10, verse 43 says, To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Have you come to that place? Have you come to that place where you believed in Jesus, and I'm not, we're talking, not talking in your head to say, yeah, I believe in the historical figure. Not even to the point where you say, yeah, I believe he died on the cross and that he was God, but believing, the, the, the concept of that word is, it's a trusting upon, not just cognitive data. Where it's like, I trust in him, I place all of myself upon him, I believe in him, I believe on him. Ephesians 1, 7-8 says, in him, Jesus we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished. Lavished it upon us. As we go a little bit further, you're going to see what we're talking about here is, is that we are permanently, if, if you've come to this place of confession, repentance, of, of, of a heart change that God starts by which then follows through with your obedience of faith and surrender. That if, you're at, if you've come to that place in your life, it means you're completely immersed in the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Never to be pulled out of. He's lavished. Lavished it. Can you believe a God that would do that? Why in the world? Why in the world would God love us that way? I mean, I, I'm an American. I've got my entitlement uh, problems myself. And I, and I do, I just think, you know, yeah, I should get heaven. Yeah, I should get Jesus. No, I should I should, I should be left, I should be just left to myself. To have whatever I seek out. I should be left to the God of David. This David. 
myself and see where that does. But God, God loves, God loved me too much to leave me there. He loved you too much to leave you there. Um, you know, here in, in the model prayer, you have to ask yourself, does it, does it say that we're daily moving from forgiven to unforgiven? Uh, let, let's, let's take a look at Matthew 6, 12 and 14 through 15. This is part of the model prayer. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then I'm going to skip down to after the prayer, uh, Jesus taught a little bit further where he said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It sounds as if, okay, well, daily, it's, I guess when I sin, I, I, go, I go from forgiven to unforgiven, you know? Or it, it sounds conditional. They would say, all right, well, if, you know, if I may be doing pretty good, but if I don't forgive somebody else, then that sin in and of itself of unforgiveness will make me lost. And that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying here. I've, I've mentioned uh, a hundred times through discipleship, through counseling and, and preaching that when I assure my children of, of the, the source and the sustainability of my love, I always ask them, does Daddy love you? And they all say yes. And they've, they've been trained. Why, why does Daddy love you? And they say, because I'm your child and because I'm a gift from God. It's these two unconditional statements. Because I'm your child, because I'm a gift from God. Is there anything you can do, talking to them, is there anything you can ever do bad that will ever change either one of those things? No, Daddy. So is there anything you can ever do to make me lose my love for you? No, Daddy. There's nothing. That is grace. That is unconditional love. And mine is, is pitiful compared to Jesus because I don't always walk that out. I may say that, but there's times in which I will be conditional in my love and, I, and I, will, I will not treat them with the same type of grace that God has treated me. If, but there's no actions they can do that will change my love because it's based upon who they are and who God is in the same way with God to us. But... But if, if one of them, if one of them lies to me about maybe they uh, broke, a, broke a couple of pictures in the hallway because they're throwing a ball. Very true story, just two weeks ago. <laughs> stories, plenty of stories there. All right? Uh, at least the breaking, the breaking of this. This time, there was no lies. I was very pleased. But it's happened before. Confront them and lie. No, no, I didn't do that. I have no idea how that happened. You know, I didn't do it. Maybe somebody else did. You know, um, I I love them. I love them when they lie. I do. But I will not allow them to throw that grace in my face and say I don't care. If they if they said to me, well, Dad, you know, I I did it. I don't really care because you're supposed to forgive me. I would not allow that hard attitude to continue. I would press into their lives. And I would say, no, that, that's not acceptable. You know, your, your heart is supposed to break when you hurt the heart of, of your dad. And when you, more importantly, when you sin against God, your heart is supposed to break. I, I love them and I want them 
to be heartbroken over their sin. The, the lie doesn't make me love them any less. And in fact, as a parent, when, you're, when your kids are messing up, you actually press in more. And that's the beautiful thing about God too. When we do sin, God presses in more. Not out of condemnation, but out of love. Because He wants our heart to change. Let's talk about the continuation of, of forgiveness though. Um, because you know, when, when He comes and He saves us and forgives us, it's done. We are justified. We're declared righteous. It's a legal standing that we have before the Lord by which cannot be taken away no matter what we do because all, it's for all the things that we did and all the things that we'll do. But there is a continual uh, understanding of forgiveness as well. We're totally forgiven, but yet we need to be cleansed. And that's where the model prayer is really tapping, tapping in. Let's look at John 13, 5-10. Jesus. Then he poured uh, water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, listen, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Peter responded, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. That's a good response. A good response. And Jesus said to him, check this out. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And he goes further to talk about Judas was not clean. Judas was not saved. Judas was, was not regenerated. Uh, by God, he'd not come to a place of surrender. You got these other 11, though, he's saying, you're clean. You're clean before me. I've, you've, been, you've been justified. You've been saved. And he says, says, so you don't have to be, you don't have to be declared righteous again. It's done. But you do need, you do need to wash up. You do need to wash your feet. Why, why the feet? Why did Jesus bring up the feet? because our feet represent where we go. And where we go shows us what we do. Shows us where we've been. Um, Jessie is my uh, eight-year-old chocolate lab. You would think that she was a puppy, especially when you first come in and, and see her because she'll just, just run circles around. You've got so much energy. She's eight. Uh, the only thing giving it away now is she's getting a little bit of a gray beard, right? Uh, we love to go outside. She loves to fetch in the water. She can do it all day long. But we fetch out in the yard as well. And um, as you can imagine, you know, sometimes when she goes out and, and fetches, she, uh, she leaves some piles. And sometimes not exactly where we wanted them to be because she's got her spots. She knows where she's supposed to go. But when she fetches, she gets, she gets into it and she, it kind of messes her up sometimes. Well, not that long ago, um, I was out in the yard, and um, I found a pile, although I didn't know that I did. And I came back into the house, having found the pile I wasn't aware of, and I became aware that I'd found the pile. It stank. My feet stank bad. My, my feet gave away what I'd been doing and where I'd been. And they needed to be cleansed something wrong with me. I mean, I, I, I didn't need to take a shower, you know. 
but I needed to wash my shoes down, spray them down with Lysol. Um, that's what the Lord wants you to know. Is it's not that your heart has 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 to be. You, you don't have to have a new heart again. It's not that God has to save you again. God has forgiven you, but He's like, but but your heart needs to change some more. You're completely forgiven, but you need to you need your heart to be cleansed. You're completely forgiven by God, but you need to come to a place of confession and repentance to say, God, right now I'm loving sin more than I love you and love your glory. God's taking care of the forgiveness, but our, our feet still stink. Um, King David uh, was a pretty amazing guy a lot of the time, but the dude committed adultery and then murdered the husband. Had him murdered. And you know what's amazing is, is when, he, when he described what happened there, he said, Lord, against you and you alone I have sinned. Okay? Now, wait a second. Didn't he sin against Bathsheba and her husband? Yeah, he did. He did. And, and he took care of that. He needed to take care of that business too. That was the horizontal. But it started with the vertical. It started by him saying, God, I mean, imagine that. Imagine murder. Imagine adultery. Okay? Our, the thoughts are immediately, what's this going to do to me now that it's been found out? Or how do I, how do I fix this in the, in the life of the person I've cheated on? Or in the family of the person that I murdered? What do I do here? How do I fix these things? How can I atone for these things? And God's like, do not start in the horizontal. Start in the vertical. You come to me first. You must know that no matter how heinous your sin is against someone else, it is way, way worse against the holy God. And so we start there and say, God, first of all, it's against you. It's against you that I've sinned. Um, we're we're going to, in just a second, we're going to pause and have some prayer and have some communion and talk further about forgiveness in a minute. But we, we want to anchor here at this place, this vertical place of forgiveness to where you come to, the, you come to God. You come, come to Jesus. And that's, that's my, my plea to you is, is come to Jesus. And if you're not a Christian in here, man, come to Jesus. He's here. And if you're a Christian in here and, and you're so burdened and you're weighted down by your sin, come to Jesus and know the forgiveness has already been given. But what He wants to do is He wants your heart to continue to be changed and for you to be cleansed. For you to walk it out. Let's, in fact, let's just pray. When we come before God and just say, Lord, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. And, and by the way, we... When I use that word sinner, that's not our name. It's not a capital S. Uh, when, you're, when you're not a Christian, you're a sinner with a capital S. That is your name. That's what you're known for. But sinner with a lowercase s as a descriptor, I do sin. I'm a sinner. But God, you have lavished your love upon me. And God, I, I am on the same level playing field as everybody else that's around me, that's in front of me. Um, that when... When we understand Jesus and that forgiveness, we will be able, we'll be able to give it to others. Um.
Matthew 6.12 is where, we, where we've been. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Look at Luke 7:47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For, but he who is forgiven little loves little. As if that's possible. But Jesus is, is saying, look, by the way you are living, it's as if you're only forgiven for a little. What, that God only takes care of a part of it? No, no, no. It's that I'm not all that bad, so Jesus didn't have to do that much for me to be forgiven. That is what Jesus is talking about. If we have that place in our life, if that's where we stand, then that's the way we'll respond to others. We'll say, you know what? I, I wasn't really that bad. You know? Everybody else is far worse than me. You know, we... Jesus is teaching us to pray this. You know? That you would forgive, you would forgive me my debts as we... As I've also forgiven my debtors. It, that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's both, it's both this individual prayer and a corporate prayer. And it's as if God is giving an assumption to be able to say, uh, first of all, the assumption is, God, we are forgiving people, so therefore, therefore God, forgive us like that. But it, in another way, it's, it's, a, little, it's a bit bizarre. Because it's almost as if you're going before God and, and saying, God, I should be treated, I should be treated the way that I treat others. That I should be forgiven the way that I forgive others. God, if that were possible in this, even within being lavished by grace and total forgiveness, if that were possible, help me to live out a life as if it was conditional upon that. Now, is it conditional? No, it's not conditional. But it says Jesus wants us to live a life to where we clearly see God and how big He is. We clearly see our depravity and our heart and our flesh and to where we just say, God, please, you, you've, you've, you've stepped over such an incredible gap between me and you to forgive me. And the gap between me and someone else is so much smaller. Please help me forgive others in the same, in the same way that you've done it instead of from my perspective. You know, it's similar uh, to the second part of what's called the Great Commandment. Matthew 22, 39 through 40. A second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the prophets. You can go back and look at that if you want. But we're told to love our neighbor as ourself. And if you are living a life of self-condemnation, to where you don't understand the forgiveness of God. You don't understand the grace of God. And you're always trying to do better. And you're always trying to measure up. You're, you're seeking and striving perfection for perfection. And you carry that weight upon you. You will apply that to the others that are around you. You with me? Does that make sense? 
that same pressure of, I've got to get it right. I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. You're going to apply it to your friend, to your spouse, to your son, to your daughter, to your mom, to your dad, to your, to your co-worker. You're going to apply the, same, the very same things. It's like, I'm trying harder. I'm trying harder. And I'm good in these areas. You should be good in these areas too. I don't want to talk about the bad areas. If we're comparing ourselves. And we do. We do love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you love yourself and see yourself as being a person who has got to continually be jumping through hoops for God to please Him, you're going to reflect that on everybody you know. And they will be miserable and you will be miserable. And chances are some of you in here are miserable because works don't work. It doesn't bring peace to you. And it won't bring peace to others. In grace, we are reminded daily that God covers all our sin. But this prayer, this prayer, forgive us, forgive us our debtors as we, as we forgive those, as we forgive those, uh, uh, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. I want to say trespasses. Anybody else grow up saying trespasses? And in the Luke, the Luke chapter, uh, the Luke version, Luke 11, it actually says trespass. It's, it's that one of those different words for sin there. Um, but it's a daily reminder that commands us to reflect grace to others, that we bend grace out, that we're not a person where, well, first of all, we understand how big grace is as it comes to us. But the, the bigger you see this grace that comes to God, the more you're going to reflect it out to others. If you don't fully understand that grace, and you still think that it's, it's, it's a type of a works that you're trapped into, you're going to bend that out. That's the way you're loving yourself, and that's the way you're going to love others. But man, when you, when you see how incredibly, totally free, freed from condemnation, and brought into the right relationship with God, when you see that as it is, man, you will reflect that. You'll bend that out to others. And so here, you're just getting really practical. I mean, here, of, of going horizontal, going, understanding how to apply this to, to people. You know, guys, just real pragmatic is if, if you've got something against someone or they've got someone against, something against you, go to them. It's, it starts as simple as that. Communicate with them. Go to them. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And it even tells you what to do if they don't respond. Then, then you take it to the communal aspect. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You, you wrestle it out. You go to the person you, you do not bottle it up. There is a lot of passive aggressiveness among Christians. How, how many times have I seen where, where a person, they, they don't say anything, they don't do anything, and then all of a sudden, it all explodes, and it's a huge mess. Have you ever heard of the, the times in which, which you know, the, uh, one spouse comes to the other and just completely blows up? with just a huge list of grievances and says, we are through. I want a divorce. 
and, and certainly within a marriage, I mean, you, you, see, you see there's all kinds of telltales. But the problem is, is when we don't deal with them as they go, we bottle them up and passive aggressiveness takes place to where we manipulate one another. But then finally, man, you, if you don't deal with, with those trespasses, those debts with one another, those sins against one another, It'll, it, it's, like, it's like packing things with TNT and pressure, 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 and it will eventually explode. We're to go. We're to, we're to communicate. I, you know, you, you, may, you may just want to, to do this. This may be your to-do list this week. Analyze your sphere of influence. The people that are in your life, the people that are closest to you, and, and if for those that, you, you, you know, you don't have anything against them, you know, there's, there's no problems from your end, you know, you go to them and just say, hey, I, I was just wondering, you know, how are we doing? Is there anything that you need to tell me? Is, is, there, is there anything I'm missing in my life or in our relationship that's been left unsaid? This is, this is huge within marriages within relationships, siblings, to be able to go to another. It's, it's a, there's a humility there just to be able to say, you know what, I just want to make sure. How, how are we doing? Is there anything I need to know? Is there anything left unsaid? You know, please love me enough to tell me. And then listen. I would bet if you, if you do this with people in your sphere of influence, there's probably one or more people that's going to say, well, now that you mention it, it's... And then they clue you in. And, and it's not, it's not going to be easy. It's not just like, woohoo, isn't this great? Doing surgery without anesthesia. No, it's not, it's not fun at all. Um, it's, but it's vital. It's important. You know? That's, that's when, you, when you don't know. Um, those of y'all, I mean, I'm married. been married for 18 years. Uh, for those of y'all who are, who are already married, and for those of you who are not, plant this as a seed later on. And once a month, you need to go before your spouse and just say those, those same comments. Just say, you know what? Is there anything left unsaid? Is there anything I need to know? With those, uh, hopefully, I mean, you know, we're, we talk about being a disciple. We talk about being discipled and discipling others. The people that God's brought into your life and they're pouring into you, you're pouring into them. Go to them. Just ask them, you know, is there something I don't see? Um, tell me. And you wrestle it out. Wrestle it out together. Um, Matthew, uh, back in chapter 5, he shows us that this concept of this, this horiz- the, the relationships horizontally of, of forgiveness and of true love, unconditional love, is so paramount that it should stop us from even p- portions of our worship. Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24 says, So if you're offering... Your gift at the altar, like, I mean, many of us, the way we respond uh, is, is with tithes and offerings, you know, during our response times. You know, if, if just applying it here, it's kind of like, it, man, bef- if, if you're about to give an offering, if you're about to give commu- take communion, you're about to respond to God, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Matthew's saying, 
Listen, it's so important. He's saying, it's going to hinder your worship. It's going to hinder your intimacy with God. Rather, it is hindering your walk with God. It is hindering you. Take care of it. Now, if they've sinned against you, it's one thing. If, if, there's, if there's bitterness that's in your heart, you must go to them. Confront the issue. Forgive them and walk out reconciliation uh, with them. Um, John Stott, in his book called Confess Your Sins, he, uh, he, he gave an illustration of this guy who was the head of a large British mental home. He says, uh, I, could dis- I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Mental patients. So I could dismiss half of them if forgiveness was really there in, in their life. A lack of forgiveness, received or, forgive, or, or given, is, is a trap. Check out what Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 7-8. through 8. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean you cover over and hide them. What it means is it means you deal with them and then you lay them to rest. And you say, dealt with. Done. Forgiven. A lot of folks, they, uh, they hold on to bitterness, rage, instead of forgiveness. Job 18.4 says, You who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you or the rock be removed out of its place? Somebody in here, I bet, there's a bitterness in your heart towards some, somebody. But you know what? That bitterness is not harming. It's not harming them the most. It's harming you through the rage, through the desire for revenge, it's tearing you to pieces. You're the one that really suffers. Max Licato said this, If you're out to settle the score, you'll never rest. How can you? For one thing, your enemy may never pay up. As much as you think you deserve an apology, your debtor may not agree. As justified as you are in your quest for vengeance, you may never get a penny's worth of justice. And if you do, will it be enough? Let's really think about this one. How much justice is enough? Picture your enemy for a moment. Some of y'all need to do this. Picture your enemy for a moment. Picture him tied to the whipping post. The strong-armed man with the whip turns to you and asks, How many lashes? And you give a number. The whip cracks and the blood flows and the punishment is inflicted. Your foe slumps to the ground and you walk away. Are you happy now? Do you feel better? Are you at peace? Perhaps for a while, but soon another memory will surface and another lash will be needed. And when does it all stop? There's never, there's never going to be enough if we hold on. I mean, does this mean, does this mean that we just, you know, if somebody 
does something horrible inside of your family that you just, you just allow them to have access to your family for them, for them to bring violation or whatever sin it is? No, it doesn't mean that. But forgiveness means a release. Just say, God, it is in your hands. I will not take I will not be the judge. I will not take revenge. God, I trust it to you. And God works. He works through himself. He works through the law uh, of the land. Um, but it's a thing where it's a release. A least release to where God, I am not going to be the one that, that judges and condemns them. Lord, that is your business. Remember again, Matthew 22 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, if we don't forgive, we're hating ourselves. If you don't forgive someone, you're actually hating yourself. I'm going to give you guys some time to respond. Um, How is your heart? What's going on in the horizontal, in the relationships of your life? Who is it that you need to go to? Is there someone that you need to go to? Because if there is, that means that you're shackled right now. And I don't want you to be shackled one more second. And neither does God. Because it is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? Who do you need to communicate to? Who do you need to even just go to and just say, hey, how are we doing? Are we, are we okay? Is there anything that's left unsaid? Some of you, uh, some of you need to go to, to someone and you need to confess. You need to say, I have loved you conditionally and I am so sorry. Please forgive me. You're my wife. You're my, you're my husband. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my friend. You're my mom. You're my dad. You're my son. My, my daughter. And, and I want to love you with the love that God has loved me with. I want to bend the same unconditional grace that's been given to me to you. You know what's beautiful about the communion we just took together? And, I, and most of y'all, man, you took it together. together and that's, we want to continue. Just press that in, man. Uh, there's times in which you need to take it alone and be free. But, man, take it together. We're a community of the forgiven. We look in each other's eyes and we can say, God has forgiven you. And they can look back and say, God, God has forgiven you. In, uh, in this time as we, as we worship as response, I also want, I just challenge you to pray. Also, I'm going to open up a different, different portion of the use of this door. The, the majority of the names or the initials that are over here for people who are praying for salvation. But let's go somewhere else. As a commitment before the Lord, some of you need to write an initial or two. Probably don't need to write their name out. But you need to write an initial or two on that door to say, God, I need to go to them. I know that I'm holding bitterness and resentment to them. And God, this is, this is helping me to walk out, to act out that I need to go to them. And I do this even 
If somebody sees me, they can hold me accountable. My friends can press me in on, on forgiving or in seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation.